0: Listening to the Destiny Community Church podcast. Today, we're going to continue with our series, Legacy Living. And after today, we will have one more week of this series, one more week. Um, The first week of this series, we looked at our spiritual birthright and blessing. And I spoke to you specifically about not living in lack. And and that's not just about finances, okay? When I say we're not living in lack, that means we're not living lacking uh, grace, His mercy. We're not, we're, it certainly does cover provision, but, but I, I just believe when we live out our birthright and our, our spiritual blessing that we're not living in lack. And then last week we studied how God has prepared us rather to live in legacy. He's prepared us to live in legacy, and we looked at what that looks like. And today I'm going to speak on the subject, leaving a legacy. Leaving a legacy. Somebody said that with me. Say, leaving a legacy. Okay, I appreciate my wife saying that with me. Um, I would like for the rest of the room to say it with me. Say, leaving a legacy. Come on, say it. Leaving a legacy. Amen, leaving a legacy. With this series on legacy, we have followed the life of Jacob, and we're going to continue that today. Okay, It may feel like we get off track for a moment, but I promise you, we're following the life of Jacob. Because of his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac and their relationships with the true and living God, Jacob was in line to live a blessed life. He was in line for a blessed life, a blessing that could be passed down to his children and to their children. And and church, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at at legacy living, what it looks like to to pass down blessings from one generation to the next. And and that's what legacy living is, is really all about. It's about passing down promises, Passing down blessings to the next generation, to the next generation, and so on. It's about breaking generational strongholds and preparing the next generation for success. How many of you want to prepare your children, your grandchildren, for success? Amen? Amen. I want to make sure that I'm setting them up for success, but not just success. But before I want my, my children to be rich in this world standards, I want them to be rich in the things of God. I want them to be rich spiritually. And and that's really what this is all about today. And, and I don't want my children to have the same struggles that I've had. Hear me. This is honest. I don't want my children to live with the same struggles that I had. I don't want them to live with the same struggles that my father had or my parents had. I don't want them to live with the same struggles that my grandparents had. And it's time that we break some of these generational strongholds and and we help them and we set our kids up for success in living a a life of legacy. I I want it to stop with me. I want it to stop with me. In my generation, I want it to stop. And it's time that some of us just square our shoulders back, look Satan in the eyes and say, listen, it ran in the family till it ran into me. Because I stand under the authority of Jesus Christ and I refuse to allow my children to struggle through life spiritually. I want to set them up for success as it, as it comes to their relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not only living a legacy, but, but church, I'm letting you know I'm leaving a legacy. I'm leaving a, le- a legacy as, as it as it comes to my spiritual life, I'm leaving a legacy, and, and I want you to do the same. I, I want to begin today with a biblical real estate transaction. That sounds so weird, okay? But it is. It's a biblical real estate transaction. Genesis chapter 23. As you turn to Genesis chapter 23, let me, let me tell you, before you get offended by that statement that I just made about a biblical real estate transaction, because I am talking about real land, real land, numerous times throughout the Bible. There's real estate transactions that take place numerous times throughout God's Word. Today we're going to look at at one of those instances, and as oddly as it sounds, um, as it relates to Jacob and his family, there is a piece of land that we're going to read about today that is very significant. I know what many of you are thinking. You're thinking, of course, it's the promised land. It is, but it isn't. Okay, There is a very specific piece of land that I want to bring your attention to today and, and I want to give you fair warning. I'm going to read the entire chapter, Genesis chapter 23. I tried my best to scale it back, but it is important. Every line there I feel like God wants us to hear today. So all 20 verses of Genesis chapter 23, here we go. When Sarah was 127 years old, wow, that's an old woman. 127 years old. When Sarah was 127 years old, she died at Kiriath Arba, now called Hebron, in the land of Canaan. There, Abraham mourned and wept for her. Then, leaving her body, he said to the Hittite elders, Here I am, a stranger and a foreigner among you. Please sell me a piece of land so I can give my wife a proper burial. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Listen, my lord, you are, you are an honored prince among us. Choose the finest of our tombs and bury her there. No one here will refuse to help you in this way. Then Abraham bowed low before the Hittites and said, Since you are willing to help me in this way, be so kind as to ask Ephron, son of Zohar, to let me buy his cave at Machpelah. Down at the end of his field, I will pay the full price in the presence of witnesses so I will have a permanent burial place for my family. Now what's interesting right here, let me let me pause. What's interesting is Abraham looks at, at the elders of the Hittites and, and he, uh, he says, I want you to tell Ephron, I want you to tell this man named Ephron to sell me this piece of property. This is, I've, I've scouted it out, this is the one that I want. And what what you're about to find out is, Ephron is standing right there. He's, he's in the room. I mean, he's, he's in, the, in the conversation. And so verse 10, it says Ephron was sitting you know, there among, you know, I'm right here, Abraham. Here I am. I know you're talking to everybody else, but here I am. I'm right here. Ephron was sitting there among the others, and he answered Abraham as the others listened, speaking publicly before all the Hittite elders of the town. No, my Lord, he said to Abraham, please listen to me. I will give you the field and the cave. Here in the presence of my people, I give it to you. Go and bury your dead. Abraham again bowed low before the citizens of the land, and he replied to Ephron as everyone listened No, listen to me. I will buy it from you. Let me pay the full price for the field so I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham My Lord, please listen to me. The land is worth 400 pieces of silver. But what is that between friends? Go ahead and bury your dead. So Abraham agreed to Ephron's price and paid the amount he had suggested, 400 pieces of silver weighed according to the market standard. Now that's funny to me right there because this is a very primitive age. And it just shows you man will make money. Man will figure out a way to make money. There was a market standard even in the times of Abraham. And so he says, uh, uh, he pays 400 pieces of silver, weighed according to the market standard. The Hittite elders witnessed the transaction. So we've got a business transaction taking place. There's witnesses there for it. Verse 17, so Abraham bought the plot of land belonging to Ephron at Machpelah near Mamre. This included the field itself. So now we get a description. Here's a legal description of what it includes. It includes the field itself, the cave that was in it, and all the surrounding trees, it was transferred to Abraham as his permanent possession in the presence of the Hittite elders at the city gate. Then Abraham buried his wife Sarah there in Canaan in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre, also called Hebron. So the field and the cave were transferred from the Hittites to Abraham for use as a permanent burial place. This is interesting because I, I see all of this coming, to life, uh, coming alive in my mind. Um, when Mandy and I went to Israel a few years ago, we visited a city that has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but it was called Tel Dan. In the Bible, it's called the city of Dan. Um, it's, it's one of the oldest cities on the earth, and they have excavated, and, and there at Tel Dan, um, they have the city gates that Abraham would have walked through. The Bible talks about him going to the city of Dan. Abraham would have walked through these gates, and what was so interesting to me about this is that the gates, as we stood there and looked at them, it was an archway. And they've got it covered to protect it from the elements, but it's outside, and, and, and there's this archway. And th- this is, is crazy to me, because thousands of years later, the Romans are actually uh, acc- accredited for building archways. Like, they were the ones that created it. 4,000 years ago, the city of Dan had an archway. And as primitive as it was, they had an archway, and, and that... 4,000 years ago, Abraham would have walked through there, and we, we saw these gates. Now, now once inside the gates, there were, there was a wall, and there was, were places you could see seats. That's where the city elders would actually sit, and, and that's where business transactions would take place in public. You didn't want to do a business transaction behind closed doors. They actually did them in public. So as I'm reading the Scripture, all of that is coming alive to me, that, that Abraham is make, making a deal of, to buy burial plots for his family. Now, many people don't know this about my family, but my family has had burial plots in Newberry since 1963 in the Newberry Cemetery. And, and it's odd because I, I did not grow up visiting Newberry, coming to Newberry. My grandparents, when they, when they retired, they did build a house near Bronson, and so we would come through Newberry going to Gainesville, but we didn't stop. I didn't know anybody. It, it just it, it wasn't part of my life until I moved to Newberry. And my grandfather was past, pastoring. This, this is just one of those stories that it, it's, it's, there's so many elements to it that it's kind of mind-boggling. But my grandfather was pastoring the original Newberry Church of God, which the original building, it's it it been added on to numerous times, the original building was the building that we started DCC in many, many years later. In 1963, I wasn't even born. I know I look ancient, but I'm not that old. <laughs> that was a little bit too loud of a laugh, but <laughs> nevertheless. Um, it's, and so... My, my grandfather was pastoring, and what happened was my mom's sister, my aunt, whom I've never met, she was pregnant, and she had an unexpected, she unexpectedly, she passed away. I think it might have been like a brain aneurysm, and, and she was pregnant, and of course, lost the baby also. So my grandparents. Bought burial plots in Newbury because my grandfather was pastoring here. And so they bought burial plots and they buried my aunt there with her child at her feet. Many years later, after my grandparents had retired, my grandfather passed away. And we buried my grandfather in that same uh, plot setting. Then when my aunt's husband passed away, he wanted to be buried next to his first wife my aunt, and so he's buried there. Then my grandmother passed away shortly after we came to Newberry in 2006, and we buried my grandmother there. And then, of course, many of you know, in August of 2020, my father passed away, and when my father passed away, we buried my father there. Now, what's amazing in all of this to me, okay? Think about this. How crazy is it that God would orchestrate the buying of burial plots in 1963? Knowing that this son would be pastoring a church in Newberry, Florida, in the year 2022. And just yesterday, I was able to go to the cemetery and visit my dad's resting place. And you tell me God doesn't orchestrate and ordain our steps. Abraham, the grandfather of Jacob, he invested in property so that his family would have a place to bury their deceased. Now, as far as we know, church, this is the first clear ownership of a piece of the promised land by Abraham and his posterity, his descendants. This is the first that we know of. There's no other uh, business deals. There's no other land transactions that take place. This is the first ownership of land in the promised land, of what will become the promised land that eventually the Hebrews will land in. But later, later, this would not just be a place for the dead. Later, this is going to become a place for the living descendants of Abraham to flourish in. This is so important that you understand this. They first bought it as a place to bury their dead. But later, when God gives them all of the promised land, it becomes a place of the living for them to thrive, for them to worship, for them to to grow their crops, for them to succeed in, for them to conquer. God gives them all of that land. Now, Now back to the protagonist of this series, Jacob, also known as Abraham's grandson. You have to understand this about him, and, 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 and I promise you I'm going to bring this together because we're going to be kind of all over the place here just for a moment. But you've got to be reminded of his son Joseph, which would have been Abraham's great-grandson. So Jacob, also known as Israel, he has 12 sons. One of them, his name is, is Joseph. And, and I have preached from Genesis chapter 37, I'm not going to do this today, I've preached from Genesis chapter 37 many times, many, too many to even count over my 25 years of ministry. If you know me, you know that the story of Joseph is is one of my favorite stories. It's something that I in my own personal life I've related to many times. And just last year, I preached a signature series for us as a church called It's My Destiny. Some of you even have on the swag today. You've got on the the sweatshirt or the t-shirt or something that says It's My Destiny on it. And that's a a product of that series. Um, Even the very first Sunday in September 2006, I preached from Genesis chapter 37 in the life of Joseph. And though I've preached that passage of Scripture many times, I've always preached it from the standpoint of Joseph and what God was doing in his life. I've never looked at it from Jacob's perspective, his father, the, the star of, of, of this series. I've never looked at it from his perspective. I've never like, like thought, well, I want to see what this really meant to him. And so this week, as I was reading through these chapters in Genesis, and, and I started realizing what was happening in his life, it opened my doors. In order for us to get there, I need to do what I've done a couple of times in this series already. I need to give you a few sentences that are going to cover a few decades. So you've got you to grow with me, okay? So everybody nod if you're with me right now. This is a lot of information. I know it is, but it's, it, I promise you, church, stay with me till the end because the end is exciting for us, Okay. I don't have time to get into the whole story of Jacob's son Joseph's life, but, but in a nutshell, he was the firstborn to Jacob and Rachel, not Jacob's firstborn, the firstborn to Jacob and Rachel, the wife that he he worked hard for for 14 years. Remember, he worked seven years, and Uncle Laban gave him Leah, the ugly sister. Remember that? Gave him Leah, and then he, he said, no, you got to work seven more. He worked seven more, and he gets the beautiful Rachel. Okay, So um, he was the firstborn. Joseph was the firstborn to Jacob and Rachel. And, and then Jacob, like his mother before him, like his mother did to him, Jacob shows favoritism to Joseph, um, and, and he presents him with a coat of many colors, and which, which, which had a, a lot of uh, a meaning to it because that was basically saying, this is the son that I love. Matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 37, it says that Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than all of his other sons. How would you like to hear that? I mean, and I know what this is like because I love Kendall more than I love Caleb. Uh, but oh, I didn't realize both of you are sitting in the same service this time. They're, well, I'll answer for that one later. But, um, but no, seriously, he, he made it known that he loved Joseph more than all of his other sons. And then he presents him with this coat of many colors, which has significance for his inheritance and all of that. And as you can imagine, it brings resentment among all the brothers. And, and so his brothers hate him. And then the scripture says they hated him even more. And, 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 and his jealous brothers, they, they devise this plan to sell him into slavery. And they sell him into slavery. They, they take his coat of many colors. They smear animal blood on it. Take it back to Jacob and said, sorry, your son is dead. Our, our younger brother, he is dead. And he thinks, Jacob thinks for years, decades, that his son is dead. But here's what happens behind the scenes. The story of Joseph. He is traded in slavery. He ends up in Potiphar's house. There in Potiphar's house, he, he climbs the ranks. Potiphar puts him in charge of the whole house. When, <clears throat> excuse me when Potiphar was out of town, he would leave Joseph in charge. Uh, he's out of town one time. <clears throat> I need some of that. Thank you very much and so Potiphar was out of town and and joseph is working around the house. Potiphar's wife is attracted to Joseph. She comes to him and says, hey, won't you sleep with me? And he, he takes off running. He bells out. She grabs his cloak and says, he tried to rape me. Next thing you know, Joseph is in prison. While he's in prison, we don't know for how long, but for many years, um, he's, he's holding on to a dream that one day he's going to be a, a great ruler. a great. He, and, and what you have to understand is he just had some maturing. He's going to be a great ruler, but God's gotta got to grow him up in some areas in his life. While he's in prison, He interprets dreams. It's a gift that he has for a couple of men that were once part of Pharaoh's court. They worked for Pharaoh. One of them, he tells him, Your days are numbered, you're gonna be killed, and sure enough, the guy is killed. The other one, he tells him, he says, You're gonna be restored back into service into Pharaoh's court. Just remember me. Remember me. We don't know how many years pass. But the guy is is back working, serving for Pharaoh. He forgets about Joseph until one day Pharaoh has a dream, and no one can interpret the dream. And he says, well, you know, I knew this guy in prison named Joseph, and he can tell you what your dream means. So they bring Joseph in, and here's what he tells Pharaoh. This is so important. He tells Pharaoh, he says, listen, your dream, here's what it means. Egypt is about to experience seven years of plenty. The crops are going to be great. The rains are going to be great. You're going to experience a very prosperous time. After that, there will be seven years of drought. And because of his interpretation of this dream, he saved the the nation of Egypt from from becoming extinct. As a matter of fact, during the years of drought, um, Pharaoh put him in charge of everything. He becomes the second command of all of Egypt. Pharaoh puts him in charge of of tending to the grain and the crops and all that stuff and distributing that. People were coming from all over and meeting with Joseph, and he was, was taking people's property and giving them food, and he was making Pharaoh a very rich man and expanding Pharaoh's kingdom. And so, one day, Joseph's brothers are sent to him. They have no idea who he is. Decades have passed. They, they don't recognize him, and his brothers are before him. He messes with them a little bit. We don't have time to get into all that. But eventually, he says, I want to see my father. He tells them who he is, and he says, I want to see my father. And they bring old Jacob to see his son. All of that to get us to this point. You ready? They bring him to see his son, and there's this beautiful reunion, and Joseph is able to bless his father. He's able to bless his brothers even though they betrayed him. And he blesses their families. And in Genesis chapter 47, verse 29, it says, And when the time drew near that Israel, that's Jacob, when Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said, said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh. I have no idea what that's about. But he says, Put your hand under my thigh. And promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he said to him, and he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. I really want to pay attention to verse 31 here just for a moment. And I would not normally say this, but I think this is important. In verse 31, in the New International Version, there is shockingly, just, just hear me out, shockingly, there's a closer translation of the Septuagint translation. What, what that is, is that in the time of Christ, Greek was the, the world language at the time of, of, of the known world. Greek, and so they had to take the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament translate them, that's the Septuagint, they translate them into the Greek. Normally, it's not this way with the New International Version of the Bible. Okay, I'm not knocking it, I'm just saying that's not usually where I would go in order to find more accurate, a more accurate translation. However, in verse 31, we find, out of all the versions of the Bible, we find the most accurate translation of what actually transpired, actually what happened. And it says this, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. I, I alluded to this a couple of weeks ago as I, when I had the staff on stage. Israel, Jacob, worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Let me tell you what this means. As he leaned on his successes, he raised his hand to heaven and he acknowledged the one who gave him those successes. As he leaned on the, on, on the successes of his life, he worshiped God because he realized, I am who I am today because of God Almighty. And, and, and it leads me to, to, to just believe this, that pride and praise cannot coexist. Pride and praise. Church, listen to me, please. Pride and praise cannot coexist you cannot have self-centered pride and expect to leave a godly legacy for your children it doesn't work that way it it will never work that way it's never worked that way you have to shed the pride and so i want to make a statement to everyone in this room everyone who's listening online please hear me out and, and make me a promise that you'll do this for me when i am dead and gone and that day will come When I am dead and gone, if anyone ever looks at you and they say these words, referring to Destiny Community Church, if they ever say, look what Rocky McKinley has accomplished, I want you to stop them. I want you to rebuke them. I want you to make sure that you tell them. You promise me that you will say, in spite of my failings and my shortcomings, God's still blessed. In spite of Rocky McKinley's shortcomings and, and Rocky McKinley's failings, God's still blessed through all of my leadership flaws, God's still blessed through all of my theological blunders, God still mess uh, God's still blessed when, when I reacted to hurt the wrong way, God's still blessed. when I hurt others, God's still blessed. when I zigged when I should have zagged. God's still blessed and church this, this isn't false humility standing before you today. I I with my whole heart I want you to understand God didn't need Rocky McKinley in Newberry Florida to birth this church. God allowed Rocky McKinley to be a part of this. And what God wants to do in and through DCC and what he wants to continue to do through DCC is bigger than me, it's bigger than you, it is bigger than all of us. God lets us be a part of it. So don't you ever think for one second that I'm looking at myself in the mirror and thinking, man, look how successful you are. I am just a a, a big bag of, of unrighteous rags is what I am. That's who I am. And God has allowed me to be a part of this why because God is faithful even when I'm not we used to sing this song when I was in children's church growing up or Sunday school growing up and they would sing this song maybe some of you know it you can you can sing it with me if you want to he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be do you know it it took him just a week to make the moon and stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. How lovely and patient he must be because he's still working on me. He's still working on me, church. Is he still working on you? And right up until the day that he died, God worked on Jacob. That's the beauty of this story, is Jacob was not a perfect man. We know that. But in his old age, we get to see a glimpse of a changed man. At one time, he was a cheat. He was a swindler, supplanter, put himself in a position he was not supposed to be in. Cheated his brother out of the birthright and the blessing At one time, he favored the son of the wife that he loved the most over all of his other sons, causing resentment between them. And we should have expected this because this is the generational curse that was passed down from his his mom and dad. It was something that was haunting this family because, remember, Jacob's mom favored Jacob. But Jacob's dad favored Esau until he was deceived by Jacob and and was forced to to bless Jacob. All Jacob knew was to pick a son as his favorite. He, He didn't know how to spread the wealth. It was passed down to show favoritism to one of your children over the other one's But now in his old age, we get to see Jacob as as, as a wiser old man, and, and he's ready to leave a legacy to not one, but to all of his sons. This is so important. This is so good, church. Genesis 49 and 28. It says, these are the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of Jacob. And this is what their father said as he told his sons goodbye. He blessed each one with an appropriate message. Now, the key word there is blessed because when you read, the, read what, what he said to them, there's, there's definitely some moments of correction because that's, that's what good, good parents do, right? I've already told you that in this series. The Scripture says if you don't discipline your children, you don't love your children. I, I don't even want to go there again. You're going to make me go there again. Don't make me go there again, church. You better start disciplining those children if you love them. Okay, let's move on. You're not ready for that. <laughs> This is not a parenting series per se, but um, these sons, even though he would give some of them a little bit more direction than the others, he would definitely point out to them laying on his deathbed, "Here's, here's some concerns that I have for your life. They go on to become the 12 tribes of Israel blessed by their father, Jacob. But where I really see the change in Jacob's life is where he wants to be buried, His son is the number two guy in Egypt, wealthy. That he chooses to go home for his final resting place. Listen to this, verse 29, chapter 49 of Genesis. Genesis 49, verses 29 through 33. Then Jacob instructed them, Soon I will die and, enjoy my, and join my ancestors. Bury me with my father and grandfather in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite. This is the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre in Canaan that Abraham bought from Ephron the Hittite as a permanent burial site. There Abraham and his wife Sarah are buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah are buried. And there I buried Leah. Don't miss that. And there I buried Leah. It is the plot of land and the cave that my grandfather Abraham bought from the Hittites. When Jacob had finished this charge to his sons, he drew his feet into the bed, breathed his last, and joined his ancestors in death. Jacob chose to be buried with his first wife, Leah, rather than Rachel, the love of his life. It's so interesting she was buried next to abraham and sarah his grandparents and isaac and rebecca his parents could it be church that over the years that jacob grew to love leah is it possible I mean, she was devoted to her husband. If you read her story, even when Leah was not loved, she continued to love him. And she wanted so badly to please him. She wanted so badly to give him sons. And, and, and she just loved her husband even when it was not reciprocated. She knew that she could not compete with the beauty of her sister Rachel. She knew that, but she still continued to take care of Jacob. And she was a good wife. And, and when Rachel died young, Leah lived a long life. And I feel like somewhere along the way that Jacob ended up learning a lot from Leah. She may not have been his first love, but but she she was placed in his life for a reason. God put her in his life for a reason. And and God blessed Leah. We know with with the rest of the story how blessed her life was that, that two of her sons are extremely important in Jewish history. One of them, his name was Levi, and, and the priestly line flows through his bloodline. Levi uh, b- became the, the father of the priest, really. The second one was Judah. And the messianic line flows through his bloodline. If, if you go and read the genealogy of Christ, he comes from Judah. Leah's son with Jacob, not Rebekah's son with Jacob. Jesus comes through Leah and Jacob. In his dying, Jacob returns to his family's heritage. And his grandfather, Abraham, had made this investment in their legacy. I know you don't think that's important, but, but it is so important. Genesis 49 and 30, this is the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre and Canaan that Abraham brought a bolt from Ephron the Hittite as a permanent burial site. He knew that one day, This is going to be the land that that my ancestors, that my children and my grandchildren and their children, they're going to call this place home. And he made that investment for their legacy, for his legacy and for their future. And, And one of the greatest investments that we can give the next generation is a place to return to during their times of tragedy. Don't miss this, church. That when your children, when my children... When my grandchildren, when your grandchildren, when they reach that place in life that something tragic happens, it's life. It's going to happen. Jesus said it's going to happen. When that moment comes, where are you teaching your kids to run to? Because I promise you this, the bars will swing wide open for them to enter in. Listen, I don't have a problem at all with extracurricular activities with our children. God knows we went to more soccer games and basketball games and talent shows than what I had planned on. Okay? We did it. We did it. I know what all that's about. But I'll tell you what we didn't do. We never neglected the house of the Lord. I know I'm stepping on toes right now, but you hear me out. If if you would teach your children to keep their eyes on Christ more than they keep their eye on the ball, one day... When tragedy hits, they'll run here. I want my kids and my grandkids and their kids, I want them to learn to run to the church, run to the people of God, run to Christ during these times of tragedy. That's where I want them to run. And let me tell you, these doors will swing wide open when they need them. If they invest in the family of God, if they invest and you invest here, I tell you, when when they need it the most, they will be here. And and when we birthed DCC, we wanted to create a place. I said this during the early days. I think even before we launched and had our first service, I told a small core group of people that I want DCC to minister to individuals from the cradle to the grave. That is what we want. Listen, I don't want a church that's just full of a bunch of young 20-somethings. God knows. I don't even like being around them. Except the ones that go to DCC because they're awesome, <laughs> but the rest of them are so entitled. I don't want to. No, I'm just kidding. Let's move on. I don't. I don't. Have to, this is a soapbox moment. I need to get off of it. Think about it. Children are dedicated to the Lord here. We give them back to God right here. It's here where they learn God's word. This morning, right now in children's church, Miss Jennifer walked to me this morning in my office and she said, "Hey." Can, can I borrow that, that shepherd's staff that you used a couple of weeks ago? And I said, sure, if you can find it. I don't know what they did with it. I have no idea. But if you can find it. This morning, the kids are learning about that right now. They're learning God's Word. It's here. It's here where men and women build relationships, and we encourage one another to good service. We encourage one another to live holy, to live righteous. It's here where we get married. It's here where we celebrate together. And it's even here where we mourn the loss of one of our own. It's here. This is that house. And that has not always been the case. Those of you that have been around here for a while, or, or been a part of DCC for a while, I should say, you'll remember a time when, when two of our finest passed away within two years of each other, Lloyd and Leela Austin, Tough season for us as a church, but we were meeting, we were a portable church meeting in a middle school cafeteria. It's not like I could call the principal and say, listen, Thursday at noon, we're going to have a funeral, so I'm going to need you to make sure all the kids and their chicken nuggets and slices of pizza go to the playground so that we can have a funeral. That that wouldn't work. So we had to borrow a church in Trenton to hold those funerals, and and it was that that way for, for a number of years for us. We, we, we used numerous churches, even in our community that the pastors were gracious to allow us to use their churches. Or If it was small enough of, of a funeral, we could use the funeral home. And, and, and But now, church, now we, we have a place to call home. And understand, this is not the church. Don't you ever think that this is the church? We are the church. But this is home. This is home. This is where I want my kids to run to. I want them to find their way back here when they need God the most, and you should want the same for your children. And so now we're building a student center for our middle school and high school students. Praise the Lord. Amen. Listen, not only not only there, will, will their midweek worship services take place there, but it will have a game room. It will have a cafe, full basketball court. Volleyball court, we're investing in the next generation so that they can be greater than we are. Man, that just needs to become a slogan around here. To invest in the next generation so that they become greater than we are. I want my kids to become greater than I am. Psalm 145 and 4 says, One generation sh- shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty works. I want the next generation to declare what we did for the kingdom of God. Proverbs 13 and 22, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Man. And let, let me tell you, and those of you that are members here and you went through the business meeting with us, you, you'll remember this, but we, we will be very close to paying cash for that building. And, and that's just under a million dollars out there, guys. We will be very close to paying cash. I'll, I'll be honest with you. We need to raise about $150,000, between one hundred twenty-five dollars and $150,000, to be completely debt-free in the building of that student center. And I, I know that we can do that. We're on our way to doing that. I know that we're going to do it. I mean, 150 families could give $1,000, and, and it's done, just like that. 200 families could give 750 and it's done. And I know that some of you are like, well, there's no way that I can do that. And you don't, you don't have to. I'm not asking for equal uh, giving. I'm asking for equal sacrifice so that we invest in the next generation. We can do this, church. We can do it. We can build that building and our kids not have to owe a dime on it. We can do that. How do I know that? Because God's blessing is tremendously. Last month, February... We had the highest monthly average attendance in our church's history. Take that, COVID. The highest monthly average in our church's history, with 657 we averaged on Sunday mornings last last month. The last Sunday of, of February, two weeks ago, last Sunday of February, normal day, just an average Sunday, 703 people came to this campus for Sunday worship. I know we can do it. God is blessing us, and he's blessing us with faithful people. But we've got another opportunity to make a strong impact on another community. I'm excited to tell you this one. One year ago, we were asked to take over the property at the church in Trenton, the church that we borrowed for Lloyd and Leila Austin's funerals. And it's tragic, but out of those ashes, beauty will come. That church had struggled for many years. They went through eight or nine pastors in the 15 years that I've been here. That church had struggled. And for a couple of those months, we made their mortgage payment. And it dried up to three people, including the interim pastor and his wife. He was preaching to his wife and one other person. And they had no choice but to shut the doors. And I said, let us pray about it. Met with our our council. We started talking about it. We've been talking about it for months, for for almost a year now. And I'm happy to tell you that we're going to go in. We're going to renovate this building right here that's right across the street from the high school in, in Trenton. And in the fall of this year, our goal is that in the fall of this year, we're going to open up DCC Trenton right there, right there. Amen. Now listen, we're about to begin renovations on that building, and we've got to give it a DCC touch. When you walk in the foyer, it looks like a funeral home from the 1990s. It needs a lot of TLC. It needs a lot of remodeling. And you know what that means, church. It takes money to do that. I, I understand that. Our goal is to launch DCC Trenton in the fall and begin impacting that community and surrounding communities with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. But wait, there's more. This is a big year for us. I'm telling you, we are expanding our borders, man. I'm telling you, God is, is sending us out. This is what we've been praying for. This is, the, this is that moment. On January the 13th of this year, I had an opportunity along with my wife and my daughter to go to the Florida Women's Reception Center Correctional Institute. It was a life-changing night for me. Under the direction of Nicole and Randy Dyson and the Jesus Infusion, their ministry, we went not knowing what to expect, it took us a long time to get through security as it should. And in, in complete transparency. And this might be too much information, but I I need you to experience what I experienced to the best that I can I can relate it to you. I I drank a bottle of water on the way there, and we're standing in security, and nature calls. And we finally get in and they buzz us through and the security guard lets us in through about three different layers of security. And I look at Randy and I said, Randy, bro, when we get in there, I said, is there a restroom close by? I'm just going to tell you what I, I told him, I said, man, I got to pee I mean, there's no other way around it. I, and he said, yeah, when we get in, go in the hallway, take a left and, and there's a restroom right there. And I said, okay. And I said, I'll, I'll be right there. They hold the door open for us and I look down the hallway. And at the end of that hallway, they're holding the door open. And I can see 40, 50 women. And they start cheering. It was like we were celebrities. They were so hungry to hear the word of God. And I skipped the bathroom. And I walked right into that room because I knew. I got in there and we greeted them. And then I excused myself, went to the restroom, and I came back. And Kendall got up with her guitar, and she began leading worship. And Nicole Dyson leaned over to me, and she says, Oh, this is one of their favorite songs. They were listening to it before you guys got here. And all the women, no lyrics on a screen. It, it didn't look anything like this, nothing like this. praise to Jesus in the confines of a prison Mandy shared some of her testimony with them I got up and preached and at the end of my message I had a salvation call and 11 women gave their hearts to Christ that night 11 of them said yes to Jesus and they shut the gates of hell behind them. I was so moved by that night. Matter of fact, Mandy and I are going through the process right now of filling out all the proper forms and security checks and all that stuff so that we can become regular volunteers there. Whenever God can lead us, we want to go in. We absolutely fell in love with some of those women there that night, hearing their stories and watching them pour their hearts out to us. A few weeks later, Mandy and I were talking with Randy and Nicole and I asked Nicole, I said, Nicole, what would it take for us to start piping in our services live on Sunday mornings into that chapel? They have a chapel there. It's it's not nice. It's blocked walls, it has pews. And I said, if they would allow us to start piping in our services, live streaming our services into that into that chapel, I said, DCC, I'll I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll replace the video projector because it's an old one. I said we'll replace the video projector, we'll replace the screen, we'll replace the sound system, whatever they need, wiring, anything. We'll even go in and do the work if they'll allow us to. We will do whatever it takes. And wouldn't you know, Nicole, she's she's a bulldog when she gets on something like that. And she took off with it. And we're like this close to having final approval. And every Sunday morning, when this happens, when I come to preach, I'm not only going to address you, but I'm going to look into that camera. And I'm going to welcome our online audience, and I'm going to welcome the women that are at the Florida Women's Reception Center. Every woman in the state of Florida that goes into the prison system has to go through there and some of them end up staying there permanently. What an opportunity it is for us, church. This this is what ministry is really about. But as you know, it takes money. But I'm not worried about that because we as a church we've always seen the need and met the need we've never not done that and we'll do it again and this will be the year that ministry at DCC multiplies we will not neglect here we won't I promise you we will not neglect here next Sunday is going to be a groundbreaking day for us as a church Let me tell you how. You don't want to miss it. Here's here's why. Next Sunday, I'm going to explain to you how we're going to staff the Trenton campus. What that looks like. I'm going to share with you some new additions to the staff here at DCC Newberry. And then next Sunday, I'm going to give all of us an opportunity to invest in this legacy as we begin the legacy campaign. Investing in something that's going to last far beyond, we will. I won't to make a difference for the kingdom of God that lasts longer than I will. My, my, my plan, my hope, my dreams with all of this is that should the Lord be delayed in any way in coming to receive His church, if, if it's not time, if it's not soon, that decades after I'm gone, what we do this year has a ripple effect and it continues long after we're forgotten, this ministry will not be forgotten. And we get to make a difference for decades and decades to come. How many of you want to be a part of that legacy with me, church? Amen. Amen. Last week, last week, I mentioned to you that to help us survive our first year here, the Church of God denomination, they invested $30,000 $30,000 spread out over a year and what that meant was the beginning of every month I could go to the mailbox and there was a $2,500 check in there the first of every month and Mandy and I to help launch this church we agreed that that would be my salary that I, we would live off $30,000 and every offering that came into the church would be invested back into ministry. And We were faithful to that for a year. Man, God blessed us tremendously. We've, we've never gone without, personally or as a church. I'm telling you, God has continued to bless. But man, that $2,500 check at the beginning of every month, it gave us some breathing room. It relieved a little bit of stress for this first-year pastor. And I was a young man back then, in my early 30s. It made my life easier. I want to do the same for Trenton I want to make life easier for Trenton as we launch a new campus there I I want to I want to make sure that we set that church up for success it will be part of DCC it will be under our umbrella and we will have fellowship with one another it's going to be great as we continue to grow our body and ultimately the kingdom of God In the second year of DCC, we had an unexpected donation from a church in Tallahassee, a pastor that that I hardly knew. We, We were acquaintances, but I didn't know him that well. He was pastoring a church in Tallahassee at the time. He was the pastor called Genesis Church. And he called me on the phone and he explained to me that they had sold a piece of property and they were relocating and he wanted to tithe into a ministry and that church genesis church you have i mean you have no relationship with them at all we still don't really to this day we don't but that church and that pastor saw something in dcc and said i want to make an investment into that soil and they gave us ten thousand dollars to spend however we needed to spend it on ministry and they just said here here's no strings attached here's ten thousand dollars Yesterday, I was just kind of reminiscing about it. And the former pastor of that church, now his brother is the pastor of that church, and he was on staff there at the time. I sent both of them separately a text yesterday. And I said, man, I'm just thinking back to 15 years ago when your church invested $10,000 in a new church plant. And I just want to let you know how much I appreciate that. It is not forgotten. Both of those brothers sent me a text back saying how proud they were of the work that this church has done that they believed in us then and they still believe in us now reaping where we had not sown it's scriptural it's scriptural we reaped where we had not sown but god said i'm going to make sure you're taken care of i'm going to make sure that you're blessed i'm going to make sure that the needs are met and now church we have the opportunity to do the same We get to invest in another community. We get to invest in our students and the legacy that we're building in that student center. We get to invest in women in prison that they will never, ever be able to invest in us. But that's okay. Because one day we'll stand before God. we'll, we'll receive the soul winner's crown scripturally it talks about the soul winner's crown things that are eternal. And it's crazy. Because I know that the money that has to be spent is on material things that we can't take to heaven with us, but they will be a tool that God will use to make an eternal impact in the lives of people and the souls of the lost. I'm so humbled that we get to be a part of that. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.